Theresa May's version of the uh, Margaret Thatcher, Francis of Assisi, you know, I will bring peace and make me a channel of your peace, whatever it was. Um, May's was all about um, injustices, those burning injustices. A word um, first from you, um, Alan, on on the legacy, the achievements such as they were, because they were smothered by Brexit, weren't they? Yeah, if you set the test as what Theresa May said at the outset on becoming Prime Minister in July 2016, what, yeah, so three years ago, she has to have seemed to have, have, have broadly failed, and that's because of the issue of Brexit. And it's difficult to to work out, So, it, it, and we, we must expect Boris Johnson to say a lot of the same sort of things on social mobility, as Tom was just saying earlier on things like education funding and so on, the big problem, uh, the big you know barrier to any of that happening is the fact that there's no majority in the House of Commons. So, and that's why we're thinking more and more about the fact that there will have to probably be an election at some point in the next 12 months, even if Brexit has got over the line somehow, because the rest of the governing agenda just wouldn't be can't be achieved without 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 a change in the parliamentary arithmetic. To that point, the domestic agenda di- died on June the 10th after that election result in 2017. That that was the point where... because In, in because, a sense, it died during it, if you include the dementia tax. <laughs> but, 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 but that's where um, her team put forward uh, policies that would be so controversial that they would require a significant double-digit, if not a triple-digit majority in the House of Commons in order to implement. Now, when she lost the majority overall, that all got parked. And the outgoing chief whip... Uh, Julian Smith said in a BBC documentary. Thank you, I couldn't remember which one. It was about yeah. two months ago, wasn't it? He said at that point, after that election, which felt like a defeat but wasn't quite a defeat, um, I said to her, you're going to have to do it differently. You're going to have to do Brexit be differently. You're going to have realistic. to reach out, be much more realistic and all the rest of it. And, and, she, and she wasn't. Let's fast forward to the point at which reality meets Boris Johnson's Brexit plan. Um, different creature altogether. Um, will he just be a wrecker until such time as he can wreck no more? Or is there creativity there to be to, to be used, would you say? Within Boris Johnson's mm. strategy with the European... And him, his approach with, with it. I mean, I, I think the problem with having this sort of wrecking strategy, some sort of say, is sort of the strategy of making the European Union believe that you'll go the full distance It's very on, popular amongst on listeners and, and callers, yeah, yeah. And it sort of seems to make an intuitive sense. The only problem is that the European Union don't believe it not only because of people like Philip Hammond, who will potentially block anything that they... And that, that vote last week to block uh, proroguing or sort of block... block the Government lost by 40. Really important. And so EU, the EU were really listening to that. And also because they think if there is a no deal, within weeks, the European Union... The UK will be coming back to negotiations because they think no deal will be so uh, disruptive in the short term that they will actually come back after. There is a... They almost don't believe in the concept of no deal. And I've noticed, Theo, that a lot of conservatives, ERG conservatives, say, you know, David Davis was saying it at the weekend, um, that the the EU are past masters at brinkmanship, at last-minute deals. And it's almost as though there's, there's a, the, they're banking on this period between now and October the 29th, say, or 30th, things just being a bit of a mess, a lot of, a lot of big talk, a lot of pushing this way, that way. And then at some point, magically, there will be a deal on, on the 29th, 30th of October. I mean, th- that's what it looks like to me. To Alan's point, they, m- they may well believe that Philip Hammond and others could stop it, but I do think they realise that they're dealing with a different political animal in Boris Johnson and that when he says he wants to implement and when he says he's prepared to go to a no deal on October the 31st, he will go 
go for that route. Now, if they're making a separate calculation that Philip Hammond and Parliament can stop him, that's one thing. But they're, he's they're making has, them nervous. But he, but he's making them nervous, and they're dealing with somebody uh, very different from Theresa May. And indeed, that was one of something that came out of uh, back, going back into the spring. One of the warnings from Downing Street at the time was, "You're dealing with Theresa May now." It's time to if you're gonna if you're gonna soften this, we need to do it now because mm. otherwise, you're gonna get Boris Johnson. Just before uh, we go live, uh, what well, to Downing Street to hear the statement? Let's have a word with our reporter Rachel Venables, who's there already. Uh, give us a sense of the uh, the tension. I imagine the air is crackling with anticipation there, Rachel. Absolutely, Sheila. Theresa May, of course, is about to come out of that famous front door, number 10 Downing Street, for the last time as Prime Minister. And I'm sat now in front of this just huge scrum of journalists. That chattering you can hear is just hundreds of reporters, photographers from all over the world who've crammed themselves into the press pan here, that pen here. They're held back by the metal barriers, just all staring forward, watching with anticipation that glossy black door with the number 10 on it. The lectern, the wooden post podium got put out in the last 20 minutes or so. It's got the microphone set up ready for Theresa May. When she comes out of that door, she's expected to give a short speech to her. She'll address the nation. She'll address her last three years as Prime Minister and then she's going to get into her car and she'll be whisked away up Whitehall, down the Mall and towards Buckingham Palace to see the Queen where she will officially resign as Prime Minister. So a hugely significant moment here. As I mentioned, the chattering of the journalists. You can hear just how busy, how crowded it is is the tension really rising uh, as we wait for her to emerge. Thank you very much, Rachel. Rachel Venables uh, at number 10. We'll go back to uh, Downing Street as soon as Theresa May begins to speak. As soon as we see her walk out the door, in fact, we'll go back to Downing Street. With me in the studio is Dr Alan Wager, Research Associate at UK in a Changing Europe, and Theo Washerwood, LBC uh, political editor. Um, on that question of a legacy, in Prime Minister's questions in the hour of PMQs today, I noticed there were sterling efforts on the part of some people to describe a legacy. Mental health was one of them. Uh, modern day slavery was another one of them. Where would you give her credit? Beyond Brexit, perhaps, or even in, in Brexit, I don't know. I, I think some of the stuff uh, on the agenda of equality have been where she has been able to make significant strides, not least because that was part of her political DNA before she became Prime Minister. She already had credibility in that area. In terms of the broad aims of social mobility and so on, you can't really say there has been any significant process, and that's because of the sheer lack of bandwidth within the, within the government. There's just not been the headspace to get any of these sort of, sort of things done. But in terms of areas where she already had sort of, uh, yeah, a political uh, foothold in, for example, on this equality agenda, she has been effective. And that's where you can say that is incredible. Domestic violence, another one. Domestic violence, yeah, exactly. Mm. And, that, and that's something that's uh, over the last few weeks has been a sort of rush attempt to get this out. That's something that's been a really positive thing as she's attempted to create a, a positive agenda over the last month or so. There has been sort of some small achievements there that have been really important. And, and uh, Theo, on Boris Johnson's um, new administration, how soon beyond these events this afternoon that we're about to really start to see um, uh, kick in. How, how soon do we start to hear who's got what job? Is that likely to be more tomorrow or straight away? We're going to get the top appointments tonight. So the first thing that happens is that Boris Johnson, after giving his speech, goes into Downing Street and there are a number of uh, quite important housekeeping tasks he has to do, including writing those uh, four letters of last resort to the four Trident submarines, our nuclear submarines, um, which would then be sealed 
and, and passed the commanders of each of those uh, submarines. After a couple of other bits of welcoming, uh, being welcomed into uh, Downing Street, the Cabinet Secretary, Sir Mark Sedwell, will be there amongst others. Uh, he will go to his new uh, office in the House of Commons, the Prime Minister's office, which is just behind the Speaker's chair. And there he will uh, call in uh, those cabinet ministers he no longer requires to serve. That's done behind closed doors, away from the cameras, so that nobody uh, faces the ignominy of walking through Downing Street, gets to Downing Street to be sacked. Uh, he then goes back to Downing Street where he will make his appointments and you will uh, watch the likes, I'm sure, of Sajid Javid, Dominic Raab, uh, walk uh, through the gates of Downing Street into uh, number 10 uh, to be told uh, officially uh, which jobs they have been given. I'm looking at, um, from Kate McGann at Sky, uh, the government chief whip in the Lords, Lord Taylor, has resigned his position. Are the Lords front benches likely to follow? Um, any any weight in those departures, the, would the, you say? The chief whip for the, for the, for the Lords, Lords, is that's yeah. important. Yeah. And also the leader of the House of Lords. It would be interesting to see uh, what happens there. But the main... The, to what Alan was talking about earlier, the focus is going to be on Brexit and those key departments, Foreign Secretary, Home Secretary, uh, the Chancellor, who's Chancellor, they are all going to have to be uh, Brexiteers. David Liddington uh, on Twitter. I wrote to Boris Johnson yesterday to congratulate him on his election, to wish him well, and to say I've decided that after 20 years on the front bench, it's the right moment to move on. I shall leave the government when Theresa May offers her resignation to the Queen. Deputy Prime Minister. De facto Deputy Prime Minister is a position that's uh, been touted for Ian Duncan Smith, who of course ran uh, his campaign, a former Minister of Europe, uh, close ally of uh, Theresa May, and stood in for her at Prime Minister's questions when she was abroad. Uh, just before we go to the Prime Minister's speech, uh, you mentioned Ian Duncan Smith. Though. What, what, I, what never ceases to amaze me is the uh, insistence by so many Conservative MPs on, um, th on what comes next, it, it, that the withdrawal agreement is dead. It's, it, it, it's, it's demonstrably not dead, is it, if, if there is a deal to be done in Brussels, because that's the, that's the basis of what the deal would be. Yeah, and you have politicians like Ian Duncan Smith who are making that claim that it that it is dead to sort of try and trap Boris Johnson, if you like, because they are still worried, even though they are part of the tent now, even though they are making up the majority of the team, they are still really worried that Boris Johnson will try and show that sort of flexibility that's defined him and attempt to reverse that move towards towards no deal. They think that it's still possible, clearly, that he might try and make that move towards a withdrawal towards uh, uh, getting this deal through one more time and the deal will be roughly the same as the deal that Theresa May negotiated the withdrawal agreement won't change so they are clearly still worried that he will try and pass that, that treaty again if he comes back to the, the likes of the ERG and others and says listen it's me telling you that the withdrawal agreement will work with a couple of tweaks it's, it's me it's not no of course it's not going to work but, but just to the point about the, the withdrawal agreement being dead that is something uh, a turn of phrase that has really come out of the European Union stance that there are three elements to the withdrawal agreement, the divorce payment of £39 billion, EU citizens' rights, and then the backstop, and that all three have to be in place in order for the to withdrawal agreement the to, yeah. in order for the withdrawal agreement to exist. Mm. Now, there are others who think that actually the UK could within our own legislative framework. But be, no, but hang on, to be fair, that was the deal that the Theresa May agreed. agreed. It's not that just an the, EU thing. No, 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 that was it. No, I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that when people like Ian Duncan Smith say that the deal is dead, that is because 
in its current form, that is what the EU signed up to with the UK. And the UK signed up to it. And the UK signed up to it. We rejected it. Now Parliament rejected it, yeah. Parliament rejected it. Now, there may be a case um, that we could legislate on the UK side to protect EU citizens' rights living in the UK. Of course, it would be up to the European Union to reciprocate with the one million British people living in the European Union. Boris Johnson, it's not just the backstop that's the problem as well, it's also that £39 billion, because Boris Johnson's argument... He wants it attached to a trade deal. He wants it attached to a trade deal. But what was clear when that was, when that £39 billion was agreed, and and it it was, people talked about, quote-unquote, minding the gap, that £39 billion was to be paid, and this is the agreement with the UK and the EU, regardless of whether there was a trade deal. Here we go. People coming out of the doors of number 10, um, not yet the Prime Minister, I don't think. Um, somebody coming out, I think, to open up the uh, the booklet in which her speech one of the is. The yeah, and uh, I guess uh, checking the microphones are in place, in position. He's then walked away to the left of the podium, where traditionally, Theo, I think you back me up on this, family, friends, staff yes. uh, tend to stand when the speech is being made. So they will, uh, as you face Downing Street, they are towards the far end uh, in the shadows of number 11 uh, to watch the Prime Minister uh, speak. The only difference might be um, Philip May may stand stand closer. Um, And that was a case when Gordon Brown and also... And Samantha Cameron as well. So they stand a little much closer to uh, the outgoing Prime Minister than than this stuff. It it always strikes me on days like today that the, uh, my goodness, we have political drama and and real political difficulties this nation is in at the moment. But there's always the human story, isn't there, wrapped around it on days like this, without a doubt. Cameron's speech was very emotional. He paid particular tribute to uh, his wife, Samantha, and the support that she had offered And him. her face was pained throughout, wasn't it? It was, yeah. and uh, Theresa May, we heard in the House of Commons, in fact, it was an answer to a question by Keith Simpson, who paid tribute to the unsung heroes, as he put it, the partners, wives, husbands, who uh, serve alongside. Mm. Philip May is a very... has been a, a rock for Theresa May in the last uh, three years. He, is, he has been... Uh, his time as Theresa May's husband in that role hasn't been particularly well documented um, and talked about. But when Theresa May has faced pressure, unlike any other prime minister in truth, mm. uh, he has been, well, he's been dubbed the most important Philip in Downing Street. My, my favourite favorite Philip May moment was when she'd had her coughing fit speech and, you know, the whole world you know shriveled as it happened um and at the end of it he ran up at speed onto the stage and gave her an absolutely massive bear hug and i just where was, was so lovely where, where the likes of david davison uh, was sitting uh, in the uh, front of the comp the front row of the conference and they talked afterwards about standing up and how they're going to stand up to uh, nab that uh, prankster who handed uh, Theresa may the p45 but never quite, never managed, quite managed it managed but of course it. philip may was always uh, was always uh, there. I was just in a, an event where Philip May and Theresa May were at about three or four months ago, and it was very interesting to see how Philip May, they were very much a pair in the room mm-hmm. as they spoke to Tory 
donors as they worked the room. As they worked the room. He was he was very much by the Prime Minister's side. We'll focus on Therese. We'll come back to Boris Johnson and his no-deal plans and his deal plans and whether the withdrawal agreement will uh, survive um, another day in one form or another. But the it was interesting, that going back to the coughing speech, um, it, one of the things she's often accused of is being no fun. Um, having no sense of humour, being no fun, uh, not being warm, you know, the Grenfell moment when she failed uh, to go and see the, the survivors of Grenfell and the families who were affected. Um, it, it, there are moments when she's broken out of that, but there haven't been many, have there? And we live in an age when politicians need to make people feel something about them. Would well, you agree? These sort of moments really do bring prime ministers to life. If you look at the in Gordon Brown, for example, when he left Tendown Street with his children, and actually, people realised that He's a this dad. was an incredibly unpopular politician at the time. But he was he was a, he was a dad. And when uh, Margaret Thatcher left as well in, in in tears, there was a a real palpable sense that this is a human being leaving a job. Theresa May's staff coming out there. I noticed Robbie Gibb at the uh, railings by number eleven. Um, former BBC senior uh, editor, uh, who's a senior member of her staff, Gavin Barwell, coming out. Um, onto the uh, onto the steps of Downing Street, just to the right of the front door of Number Ten. Theo, there will be a clear out on the political side in the short term, and they're, they're all going to go tonight. I've been receiving emails with, "This is my new, this is my personal number, this is my personal in, in email." Do do keep in touch. But on the political side of things, it's a clear out. Politics is a brutal game, not just for the people who we see in front of the camera, but for all of the people who work behind the scenes. The civil servants generally stay. Uh, in place. Of course, um, there needs to be some shared knowledge. She's coming out now, so let's go live to Downing Street and the Prime Minister. I'm about to go to Buckingham Palace to tender my resignation to Her Majesty the Queen and to advise her to ask Boris Johnson to form a new administration. I repeat my warm congratulations to Boris on winning the Conservative leadership election. I wish him and the government he will lead every good fortune in the months and years ahead. Their successes will be our country's successes, and I hope that they will be many. Their achievements will build on the work of nearly a decade of Conservative or Conservative-led government. During that time, our economy has been restored, our public services reformed, and our values defended on the world stage. Of course, much remains to be done. The immediate priority being to complete our exit from the European Union in a way that works for the whole United Kingdom. With success in that task can come a new beginning for our country, a national renewal that can move us beyond the current impasse into the bright future the British people deserve. To serve as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom is the greatest honour. The heavy responsibilities are outweighed by the huge potential to serve your country. But you achieve nothing alone. And as I leave Downing Street, my final words are of sincere thanks. To my colleagues in government and parliament, to everyone in the building behind me and across the civil service, to the men and women of our armed forces and security services, and to the public servants in our schools, our NHS, our police and the other emergency services. All are inspired by the noble wish to serve their country in the national interest. I also want to thank the British people. Everyone who loves our great country, 
who works hard for their family and wants their children and grandchildren to enjoy greater opportunity than they did. Thank you for putting your faith in me and giving me the chance to serve. This is a country of aspiration and opportunity. And I hope that every young girl who has seen a woman Prime Minister now knows for sure that there are no limits to what they can achieve. Finally and most of all, I want to thank my husband Philip, who's been my greatest supporter and my closest companion. That wasn't me. <laughs> I think the answer to that is I think not. I'm about to leave Downing Street, but I'm proud to continue as the Member of Parliament for Maidenhead. I will continue to do all I can to serve the national interest and play my part in making our United Kingdom a great country with a great future, a country that truly works for everyone. Well, um, a joke from uh, Philip May at BM there, just as Theresa May paid tribute to her husband, uh, Philip, standing next to her throughout that fairly short speech on the steps of Downing Street. Uh, the anti-Brexit campaign are famous now for the uh, st stop Brexit shout and no to Brexit, uh, bellowed it at great speed, but with terrible timing from Theresa May's perspective. And Philip May said, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. You see, they can ad lib, Theo. They can ad lib. Before we come back, we'll talk about it in a moment. I want to go live to Downing Street now to Rachel Venables. And Rachel, just describe what's happening. Well, that's it. Theresa May's just given her final speech as Prime Minister on the steps of number 10 Downing Street. She just stood up by the door. She and Philip waved to the cameras. She smiled. They held it there for 10, 20 seconds and they've just turned now. They've walked down the steps and they're now walking down Downing Street towards uh, the Jaguar, the armoured car. Their security just opening the door for her. She's just stepped in on the left-hand side. The doors have closed. Driver just getting in as well. Now security then getting ready to take her out of Downing Street, as I say, for the last time as Prime Minister. The car is just leaving away now. It's got its blue lights on. It's heading to the black gates of Downing Street. It's going to turn left uh, along Whitehall. It's going to go up to Trafalgar Square and turn left again down the Mall, whisking the Prime Minister for now towards Buckingham Palace, where she will have a private audience with the Queen and she will formally tender her resignation. You mentioned there that moment of, of real humour. As you said, she, she can do it. It was a wonderful moment for the journalists. Everyone na laughed naturally when as the Prime Minister was talking about what a great honour it's been to have this job. Someone at the gates of Downing Street shouted, Stop! Brexit, and she paused and said, uh, I, I think, think not. clearly not. So just a last moment of humour, yes, I think not, before she uh, waved goodbye to the press uh, and went on to, to hand in her resignation. Thank you very much, Rachel. For now, Rachel Venables, uh, LBC's reporter in Downing Street. Theresa May uh, heading uh, along on that very short journey to Buckingham Palace. Lucy Hoff, LBC's reporter, is there. We'll pick up with Lucy in just a moment. Um, Theo Oshawid in the studio with me, LBC's political editor and Dr Alan Wager, researcher associate at UK in a changing Europe. She is going to recommend Boris Johnson be Prime Minister uh, and she spoke glowingly of the opportunities ahead of him, didn't she? I mean, she's bound to, I suppose. She had to. Yeah. And she uh, spoke to uh, the fact that uh, Boris Johnson would be working with a very talented team of uh, civil servants, 
uh, in Downing Street and across government. Of course, that might be seen as perhaps a veiled dig at the, po at the appointment of Dominic Cummings, who's not particularly uh, a fan of uh, civil servants. And the, the car, uh, the, the convoy has just gone through Admiralty Arch there, heading and up towards the palace. Let's go to the palace, actually, and get a sense of the atmosphere there from Lucy Hoff, LBC's reporter, who's at Buckingham Palace. Lucy. Uh, afternoon, Sheila. The Royal Standard flying high above Buckingham Palace now, meaning the Queen is, of course, home. She's had to delay her usual trip to Balmoral for a week because of the political situation here. She will be uh, uh, welcoming Theresa May for their final audience with Theresa May as Prime Minister in the next few minutes. Theresa May will be making her way up the mall. I can just see the first outriders uh, making their way up to the palace gates now, so we will be expecting that armoured Jaguar. It is now coming up the mall. I can see the car moving uh, towards the palace. Theresa May will then be, of course, be welcomed inside the palace uh, where she will hand in her resignation and recommend that Boris Johnson, a former government in the Queen's name, she will then leave the palace uh, no longer with the title Prime Minister. We can just see uh, as uh, some more outriders are coming up the mall now. Uh, it will then, of course, be the turn of Boris Johnson, who'll be uh, invited by the Queen's private secretary to come around an hour later. Uh, but I can just see as that Armand Jaguar is making it way round the roundabout in front of Buckingham Palace shortly about to go into the gates we can see the big uh, prime ministerial uh, motorcade around her uh, the gates are now open there is a huge group of tourists standing outside the gate Theresa May just making her way inside the palace for her last audience with the Queen as Prime Minister. Thank you Lucy for now Lucy Huff LBC's reporter now later on um, after Theresa May has done what she needs to do Boris Johnson from a different location obviously the number 10 will head towards uh, the palace to ask if he can form a government before we get to that point let's linger on this on this moment uh, if, if we can for a, a few minutes with Theo Osherwood and Dr Alan Wager who's here as well in the studio research associate at UK in a changing Europe the superficial um, stuff that we're seeing here is is about order and calm and transition um, but again underneath it that those those matters of state furiously happening behind the scenes Boris Johnson is currently uh, in Whitehall in his office uh, with his team. Of course, he missed uh, Prime Minister's question so as not to upstage uh, the Prime Minister's uh, final uh, farewell, uh, working on his uh, team, working on his uh, the transition uh, to uh, ensure that uh, this is uh, as an orderly uh, as uh, possible uh, move from uh, Theresa May's uh, government to a Boris Johnson government. In actual fact, this work has been ongoing now for a good couple of weeks because it's always been clear. If I may, Theresa May just entering uh, the palace now, uh, being greeted warmly with a kiss on both cheeks, by whom I'm afraid I can't tell you. It certainly isn't Her Majesty the Queen. I don't think that's the pro forma uh, that goes on here. When she goes uh, into the, the palace, for into the room to, to meet the Queen, and this is something that every British Prime Minister does on pretty much a weekly basis, um, it, the, Theresa May is the Queen's 13th Prime Minister, so Boris Johnson will be the 14th Prime Minister um, and the Queen, as we heard from Lucy, has delayed her departure to Sandringham, uh, to Balmoral, oh. apologies, yeah, uh, because of this. Uh, the Queen might have a few more interruptions between now and October, mightn't she? Uh, <laughs> or December, maybe. Let's, let's um, uh, wait and see. The, the relationship between the Queen and different Prime Ministers is well known, but we don't, it's usually something that comes out afterwards. Uh, we don't necessarily, we don't, there hasn't been too much said about the relationship between Theresa May. And Her Majesty the Queen, and what how that might differ from the Her Majesty's relationship uh, with Boris, Boris Johnson. Those conversations always remain uh, private. Of course, sometimes 
uh, after, sometime afterwards, uh, details uh, emerge. Of course, the Queen got on well with Tony Blair, but didn't particularly like uh, his wife Cherie. Uh, said to get Do on. we know that for sure? Well, I mean, this is this is always what's been. <laughs> I think there was a lot of scouse bashing when it came to Shireen, <laughs> said a scouser. Yeah, I mean, it's a good. This is a good point to bring in um, uh, Robert Johnson, who's waiting to talk to us as well, royal editor for the London Evening Standard. Robert, good afternoon to you. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Um, I was reading earlier on um, a, a, a segment of. Tony Blair's um, account of being uh, in office, and when the first time he met the Queen, in one, at, at this point, he was told, uh, the, 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 "You don't actually kiss the Queen's hand; the lips just brush the Queen's hand." And he started to panic about what that meant exactly. It's a nervous yeah. moment, isn't I don't it? Think, uh, I don't think it actually happens anymore. The fact is, um, oh, that kissing of hands tends to happen at when there's a new appointment of a new privy councillor. Right. Um, most in this case, Boris Johnson's already a privy councillor, having been uh, mayor of London for a secretary. So there won't be the need for that. It's just a, it's a, it's just the way that um, the protocol would be is that they would, you know, that she's invited him to the audience, and it's understood that, that, that what's going on. He, it's been recommended by the uh, uh, prime minister that he can form the government and all the systems that went on in the past where you've had problems in the past as we did in 57 and 63 over Rad Butler because um, there was no system in place for electing a Tory uh, leader in that stage. It was all done on the nod and a, of the magic circle as it were. So now there's no problem for the Queen when it comes to um, having the, the, the next Prime Minister because it was all done with a uh, with an elective electoral process as oh, the, the Labour Party. Although there was some talk, wasn't there, in the lead up to today um, uh, about whether Boris Johnson had the confidence of the House of Commons. Yeah, um, that's the most important thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and I, that's I, the most important thing, yeah. And, and that's what he... I mean, that's what the, Theresa May would have, have had... They would have had that conversation with Theresa May apart from the fact, of course, that's going on now and her thanking for a her service but it's quite abrupt what happens now because one goes in and then that's you know, you know you're, you're you're in as prime minister and then you're out the door as a, a backbench mp and the other and the other the next one's arriving minutes later so it's a well, bit of a governments must governments must govern and, and it, there's almost a i'm just looking at the scene there's an aerial shot of the palace um, and right in front of the gates of Buckingham Palace, there's a huge banner being held by people there, protesters there, that says, put it to the people. It's almost like a physical representation oh, of yes. the constitutional monarchy, really, isn't it? And, and you know, the... Well, well, it is, but, I mean, the reality on today, that, you know, this system has been, uh, it's been tried and tested, and this is, this is the way it works. I think that um, what we live in today with post-Brexit is a very strange uh, situation because, you know, every, it seems to me that you can't even have one, pro one you know, normal pro uh, pro process, such as the change of Prime Minister, uh, as we've got here, without there being the protests in the same very, quite vicious way that they're going on. And, and things like these posting, you know, and, and it's like every news bulletin, you have to have the other point of view screened down you as during an interview. But, you know, this is a, a tried and tested process. The Queen, as head of state, knows exactly what's, what she has to do. Um, and she basically, she, it won't be an easy ride for Boris Johnson. You know, she knows him, but she'll be asking quite blunt questions and fundamentally has he got the support of the house on that matter we'll have to wait and see and it's interesting because her first prime minister 
was Winston Winston Churchill. Um, this yeah. this new prime minister fancies himself something of a Churchill. You get the impression. Um, I wonder whether the infamous words "I knew Sir Winston," you will know Sir Winston, might cross her lips at any point in the next in the next few months, years, weeks, days, Well, I don't days, think it's Boris Having read having read that, that, that his attempt at the biography of, of Churchill, and I, and uh, I don't think he should stop. Um, uh, I'm thinking he's the expert on it when the Queen knew him personally and uh, it was her first Prime Minister. I think it's the best put down ever, isn't it? So any incoming Prime Minister, yes, I, I knew... <laughs> I knew he was my first prime minister. <laughs> I, she might. You never know. Speaking of blunt questions, she asked, she did ask that very blunt question about the the financial crash, didn't she? Why didn't you see it coming? Yeah, that's a great. Thank well, you. Well, so, right. I mean, yeah. you know, and and, and uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's exactly. She's, she won't be. She won't be. Um, she won't be. She, you know, she'll exactly ask the right questions at the right time, and has, has been known to put many a prime minister on the spot. I'd be nervous if I was Boris Johnson. I'd be nervous uh, going into a room on my own with the Queen to be, to be questioned, I think. Thank you, Robert, for, for joining us. Robert Jobson, Royal Editor uh, for the London Evening Standard. Um, before we lose you, um, I'm told that there's a risk of that. Dr Alan Wager, Research Associate at UK and a Changing Europe. Our conversations were frequently interrupted by these events, understandably, okay. because we, we must report on them and they are, they are, they're key. They're you know, pivotal events in, in, in our in our lives and and they feel more pivotal than ever at the moment don't they because of the the sword of damocles that brexit has kind of become for us yeah as you were just saying the important thing about this process today is that it has happened as it normally happens and that was not a given a week ago there was the high possibility that there was no certainty that boris johnson would be able to command the majority of the house of commons and he has been able to today but over the coming months it's not unlikely that the queen will be in the frame again having to make decisions potentially about whether or not uh, things like shutting the doors of Parliament or whether or not there is a real claim for someone else to have the majority in the House of Commons, whether or not there could be a government of national unity. All these things are still really up in the air and possible and, over the next few months. And, and they could only be brought about by Parliament. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it, yeah. once we get through, it's, it's highly possible that there could be a vote of no confidence against Boris Johnson within the next few months. I mean, he's only got a majority of three MPs at the moment. If that happens, then we're in a scenario where, potentially, where the Queen will be put in the frame again and there'll be another other MPs trying to form a majority in that two-week period you get before there's like... And, this, and the Queen could get be in the frame and involved in politics in a way that she has never had to be before. Poor woman, 90. How old is she? 92 years of age. She won't be able to sit back and put her feet up in Balmoral for long, will she? <laughs> I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Boris yeah. Johnson, just on that, no confidence... Uh, vote or the possibility of it. Uh, Boris Johnson has to get to Thursday, of course, once on Thursday, Parliament is in recess, MPs have a summer holiday, so there can't be any challenge during that uh, period, and under no circumstances would Parliament ever be recalled for there to be a challenge. Now, there is some speculation that, um, and talk, that Jeremy Corbyn might put in uh, the motion or, uh, of no confidence on Thursday, so that it can be debated uh, as soon as the research Which we spoke ends. about at the very beginning of the programme with Chris White when he joined us, former advisor to William Hague. What's your take on that, that it, that it could be that imminent? Yeah, yeah well, I mean, Chris, could be Chris, is, Chris is of the view that that might even be too late to have the election before the 31st of October. I think, I think in the first few days after August, when Boris Johnson has had some time to go to European capitals, they've got to give him a chance. That's the, that's the thing that Tory MPs see. They've got to give him some attempt to try and get a change in the dynamics with the European Union before they pull the rug, pull the rug from under them. That's that's the calculation that 
Jeremy Corbyn's making and those Conservative Remain rebels are making as well. But if they pull the rug from under, you mean pull the rug from under Boris Johnson? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they they want then, to find then what? But they need to find they need to find from a Conservative point of view uh, those opposed to No Deal. Uh, need to find a different tool uh, with which to stop a no deal than a confidence vote, ideally, then it becomes, if they cannot find that tool, it becomes a game of bluff uh, between people like Philip Hammond and Dominic Grieve on the one hand and the rest and the rest of the Conservative Party on the other as to whether they are prepared to uh, vote against or abstain uh, in a vote of confidence against Boris Johnson and the implications that that would have for the Conservative Party and the possibility that Jeremy Corbyn becomes Prime Minister. Now, Boris Johnson could, of course, preempt uh, any vote by saying that he wants to uh, call a general election on his own terms and make that a Brexit no-deal general election. And, uh, Dr Adam, if, uh, if I had to put you on the spot, <laughs> general election, before the end of October... Before the end of the year, the beginning of next year? Before the end of the year, I think it's more likely than not there will be a general election. There's a very good claim for, and thinking about these Prime Ministers of the past, they're sort of flashing up today, thinking about Gordon Brown, thinking about Theresa May. The big strategic mistake they made was not calling that election early in their time as Prime Minister after not coming in after a general election. I think that will be on Boris Johnson's mind and the idea that he can preempt Parliament and go and say to the people, go and say to the voters, look, Parliament's stopping me from delivering the mandate of Brexit, let me do it, give me this majority. That has a sort of sense of logic about it and potentially could be quite persuasive if the opinion polling moves in Boris Johnson's direction. We don't know, it hasn't, doesn't, maybe it hasn't yet, but it could move in the next few days and it could, that could become an increasingly attractive option for the new Prime Minister. Okay, thank you very much. Great to have you in the studio, Dr Alan Wager, Research Associate at UK and a Changing Europe.